are now listening to the All Things Good Podcast. Hello and welcome to the HEG Podcast. Today I'm joined by Casey Jost. Uh, he's a producer for Impractical Jokers. Casey, how you doing? I'm great. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for coming on. Glad we could uh, do this. So you're a uh, producer for Impractical Jokers. How did you uh, first get into producing and directing? Um, so I, I, you know, I, I just wanted to do comedy in some way. I guess um, since high school, I had done um, like uh, like our school had a little TV studio and I, on my, my senior and part of my junior year I did like the, like kind of like not morning announcements but like a little show just talking about you know whatever was happening in the school and like just joked around on that we'd like make sketches sometimes or do like some stuff and I, I just liked that and I also liked doing improv in high school and the plays so I, I just wanted to do that stuff and I continued that in college and then after college I, I just you know tried to do stuff in New York City and then uh, produced like live shows that, with friends and then that turned into like some, you know, submitting to television gigs. And my first uh, one was uh, that I got hired on as uh, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, and wow. I, had submit, I, I submitted a packet and then, uh, you know, got hired like a couple months, four, four or six months later, which was crazy. And then I was there for six months and then got let go. And then... Uh, the Jokers were starting their show, and I, you know, I had known them a little bit. I had known Sal for a really long time, uh, okay. good friends. And then, he, you know, he told me about the show and asked if I wanted to start working on it. It was fun. Damn, yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty cool. I didn't know you uh, got to work with Jimmy Fallon. So after that, you got yeah. so you got let go, and you kind of find your way to Impractical Jokers. Um, did you guys kind of? I mean. It probably wasn't you know that big when you first got into it. Did you expect it to kind of blow up to what it is now? It's, it's definitely gotten huge. No way. <laughs> yeah, no way. I, I um, you know, I we had started it was like nothing. I mean, they had a pilot that that or they had like they made like you know some videos with their phones to to pitch it to networks, and then um, <laughs> then they got like nicer cameras and they had a little bit of a like you know a very small budget to make a pilot, and then the network. The network had so many notes that it seemed like they didn't like it. So we didn't think that we'd get more than one season. Mm-hmm. But then a lot of people changed over at the network, and then people liked it. And then the, really, it's the fans. Like, fans of the show loved it and were outspoken and, like, loved the guys and loved the concept. And then we just got season after season. We didn't know we would be up in season nine. We didn't think it would go past one season. Right. We actually only had eight, we had only eight episodes approved for season one. And then we call it like uh, they got a back order where they ordered eight more episodes because they liked it. So we were like, "That's great!" So at least like it, we'll have a season of you know sixteen episodes, mm-hmm. and then you know we'll see what happens after that. Uh, but yeah, I had no idea that it would be nine episodes, a movie, a cruise. Mm-hmm. They, have, they have like a misery index now. Like there's so many. I'm right. So yeah, it's it's definitely just blown up, and yeah. So they, they at the beginning were just filming with phones and kind of just sending it to true tv is that that's how that works uh yeah not exactly 
exactly like that. So they um, they had this concept. They had this concept where they like dare each other to do things in public, and they would have to do it. And they they actually uh, yeah. So they they were just filming it like uh, handheld. Like somebody would set up a camera, whether it be like a smartphone camera or just like a like a crappy like Go you, know, you go to Best Buy and you buy a camcorder, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And they filmed themselves doing these things on the street. And then they had like they made like a three minute reel of that stuff, and they set up a pitch meeting because uh, Murr was working at, a, at the company that we, the production company North South Productions, which we that's like our production company. Oh yeah. And uh, they set up a meeting. The guys went in. They were like their charming selves. True TV loved them. MTV loved them too, but MTV wanted to, to recast it with like a new four guys or new four people every episode. Oh so yeah. They said no to MTV's. Um, offer and they took True TVs. Damn, M- MTV fucked that one up for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's but they, you know they took a big risk, like like going right. to True TV because True TV was not known for comedy at all. They have other mm-hmm. comedy shows now, but it was like nothing like that, you know. Right. Yeah. It's like whenever I think about it, it's like almost like a there's the perfect marriage with True TV because at the time before I in practice the Oakers, I didn't really know much about true tv honestly and seems like yeah. the show kind of blew up with true tv so it's kind of cool to see that and it's true tv's been really great to the show they've done they really promoted it and it's like their flagship show mm-hmm. like if we got on mtv i don't think it would have lasted more than a season yeah um, and you know because they, their turnover they turn over shows so often mm-hmm. but true tv really like allowed us to do this mm-hmm so what goes into like making an episode? I've, I've always wondered that. I mean, I know there's probably so much that goes into it, but you know, when it comes down to the bit, bits and ideas and then how they come to light, can you just uh, describe so, that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like at the beginning of every season, like the four guys and a, a, a few comedy producers like myself and my friend Joe Ambergio and like this group that has been now has been around for a while. We all get together and, you know, uh, individually and as a group, we brainstorm all these challenges and punishments. But, you know, we keep a lot of the punishment secret, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, you know, like we'll, we'll be in a meeting and then someone will have an idea and be like, hey, Murr, can you leave the room? And Murr will, like, leave <laughs> to, like, get a Snapple or something. And we'll, like, discuss the idea and, like, maybe write it up and work behind the scenes a little bit more on it. And then Murr will come back in and we'll keep brainstorming, like, challenges and stuff. And... That kind of, that's how we like come up with the ideas for the most part. And then we, uh, we you know, there's other producers and, and people that organize like when the schedule is and when we're going to film it. We do basically like one location a day. So if you see us at White Castle, where that's like, uh, you know, it took three hours to hide the cameras. We film for about three hours and it's about two to three hours to break down all the equipment. So it's a long day. Yeah. And uh, that turns into a challenge. Um and that challenge has been, you know, edited by, we have a whole team of people that, like, edit it and, like, add the, you know, the sound and, uh, you know, sync it all together. And then that goes to the network and the network either approves it or not. So it's, it's like, a lot of manpower and yeah. probably, like, just for one episode, it's, like, at least three days of filming in locations. And then it's also, like, the days it takes to edit it and to approve it and to, you know, even write it from the beginning, like, you know, to come up with the idea. Mm-hmm. That's all. So, you know, an episode can take, you know, up to like, I guess if you put it in like six, uh, five to six days, all, all in, wow. um, maybe, maybe more. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even think about uh, you know a location a day. Uh, I was also wondering. So like when you get for you guys, you know, like you, like you're saying, you go to White Castle or you do these bits with these businesses. How does how does that work? Do you guys have to you know reach out to them and say, oh, we'll compensate you this amount, or are they just kind of all for it and they reach out to you or? Yeah, I, I, occasionally a location will reach out to us and, and be like, hey, we love the show. It's usually like more of a mom and pop. It's rare that like a headquarters like White Castle will say, hey, we love the show, do whatever you want. We have to kind of call, we have a locations department that will call like White Castle and they, you, know, you can't just call one White Castle, you need to get like corporate approval. Mm-hmm. So they'll like, you know, it'll go up the, the, the chain and then eventually we might have a conversation with a person who can like, you know, pull the trigger on that decision. And uh, we'll get White, White Castle is a huge get, but they're a good brand that, like, you know, they had Harold and Kumar, like they've yeah. done a lot of comedy, so I think they, they understand that their brand is fun. It's you know, and then it, you know, the ones that you've seen on the show are usually because um, it's gotten up to like a person who makes decisions, and at this point, they've seen the show. That's like made us made it a lot better. But usually, we get like kind of these like mom and pop one one store chains, you know, like we might mm-hmm. Evil Olive that is in Brooklyn and has like one to three locations and it's not like this big corporate chain yeah. um, and then there's like you know there's other stores that just there's like it's just a few people to come you know to talk to but that's why we do a lot of like focus groups where we're like in like a like a conference room mm-hmm. that the location's fine with us using it or a, um, sometimes like a live event that's like either at a college or like a, an event space they're fine with us filming there you know, it's, it's, it's a lower risk when it's right. something like that versus, like, messing with, right. um, you know, like, make the old customers. They might be like, that's a bad look for us. Yeah. <laughs> so, as, as the show, like, you know, continued to get bigger, what what would go into, you know, like, set up, uh, you know, do fans notice you and you do you ever have to just kind of shoo them off? Or how does uh, growing popularity kind of uh, affect how you guys set up and whatnot? challenging in terms of like sometimes we'll have an idea like if we wanted to shoot something at like a high school we'd be in trouble because I think a lot of high school kids watch the show mm-hmm. so we like you know we, I think on one point we wanted to do a college like a like a college fair where like high school students like talk to one of the jokers about a college and then that joker is like you know telling you know if the other guys are telling them what to do you know classic bit mm-hmm. and we were like yeah but all the high school kids will probably know them it's hard it's hard to shoot that so we'll, we'll sometimes like like turn down ideas based on that and then also when you know when we're filming in New York City it's not a big deal because there's like so many people and there's like most of my friends who live in New York City like don't even like own a television or like don't have cable (laughs) so it's funny like you know when we film like those travel episodes it almost feels like it's harder to shoot because if we go to like outside of New York and it's like a smaller like I don't know more people know it um yeah I have a lot of friends that like know the show through me but don't even watch it because they like all, like all they have is like a streaming service like Netflix or something mm-hmm. so funny yeah it's yeah it's interesting in that case I, I've always wondered you know like in New York City if it would be easier or harder because there's probably a lot of people walking around with with cameras and filming so it's probably not out of the regular but if you were to film certain areas are work you know like Times Square is harder because there's just a lot of tourists and like uh, that's be a demographic that knows our show more so we we've kind of stopped filming in Times Square unless like the bit is that it's an exposed thing where like you know people know who the Joker is and that's part of the punishment mm-hmm. um, 
more residential areas of New York work better for us. Right. So, do you think uh, going forward for Impractical Jokers, do you guys, what do you guys think's you know maybe the next move, um, maybe disguises going forward, or what do you guys think is uh, what yeah, you? Yeah, like after season after season like three or four, we talked about disguises, but ultimately it takes away some of the embarrassment. Like the guy has yeah. to say something embarrassing, but he's not himself. It, it it's less embarrassing because he's like, well, I feel like I'm playing a yeah. character. So it's really. <laughs> It really, they kind of need to. We, you know, we, we've been talking about maybe doing the thing at like a, a baseball stadium, and that's hard because a lot of people would recognize them. So we might do like face paint because you're still yourself, but you're like, you know, a fan. So it might help this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have any favorite memories from the show? Any, you know, any behind the scenes stuff that uh, you could share with us? Um, yeah, uh, I think like. I love to be on set for like Murr punishments because I love all the you know all the all the guys. But like Murr's punishments are always so like insane, like skydiving. Like we shot that, and I saw like a ten minute edit, and it was like a documentary. It was so like thrilling, like it was an emotional roller coaster. And then you know I had to get cut down a little shorter, but that like long version was just like epic. Um, and then. Also, like, the Novocaine punishments, like, one of my favorite of all time, <laughs> like, when they put Novocaine in his mouth. Like, that one just makes me laugh, and it's just so invasive to his body. Um, and then aside from that, like, Bingo was pretty amazing with Sal. Like, you know, it, sometimes, like, on, on, like, you know, when you're watching it, you're like, wow, that's intense. But it doesn't even, it still is even worse when you were there. Like, I was in that room. And I could read, like, it was palpable. It was, it was crazy. And it came off, but, like, I even watched it and was like, it wasn't even as bad as it actually was. Right. Sometimes that happens, where we feel like, in the moment, it's actually even worse, and it's hard to sometimes magnify that with just, like, showing people's reaction. Right, it's like, you know, when, you're, when I'm watching the show, you, when you're watching the show, you kind of feel the second-hand embarrassment, so I can only imagine being in the same room and just, just watching it all go down. Another one that was really funny recently was like Murr was talking to a woman who was behind the desk at like a, like a reception, like a waiting room, and he's a, a woman comes in, he like knocks pens down, she picks up the pen, and then they have a really awkward exchange, and then he knocks the pens again, and there's this moment where like he expected her to pick it up, and she was just like, "You don't expect me to pick this up." It was just like that, that to me was like it was like uh, I don't know, it was like a, like. You know, hearing Mozart. It was just like it all worked out. It was like perfectly timed, and like it was just like from start to finish. And that also had to get cut down a little bit. But that one too, like you could have shown that entire thing without edits, and it would have been just as intense. So yeah, speaking of uh, you know like longer versions, so you guys just did uh, the Impractical Jokers movie. Uh, well, yeah. and you you helped worked on that as well, right? For the most part, I you know to be honest, we were kind of. There was sort of some, some uh, simultaneous, like, you know, like uh, us producing on the show and the movie at the same time. So I couldn't actually work on the movie aside from when I was in it, like filming on it. Right. So that's that the movie, like, uh, you know, the scripted portions, you know, with like it, it starts and ends kind of like with some scripted stuff. That was the guys just wrote that with the director, Chris Henchy, who's great. So that that we did we weren't involved in that. Um, the other reason why is because like it was like a whole separate like writers guild kind of thing than our show is. So there was like a lot of legality 
um, the guys really tried to get the, all the producers and all the people who work on the show to work on the movie, but it, it was a logistical nightmare, and they really could they felt really bad. I think going forward, if we did a second movie, they would try to involve everyone more because mm-hmm. they felt like uncomfortable working with new people and having to film this movie. But mm-hmm. um, like I, you know, after a while, it all you know clicked, and the people they were working with they like loved. But uh, it was it was a different environment than what they're used to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't I haven't seen it yet. I think it's making its way up here uh, soon. Um, how did it? How did the idea come about? Did you guys get reached out to about the movie, or did True TV kind of come up with the idea? I mean, since season one, the guys were talking about like the movie version of the show, and like they always kind of originally it was like just like kind of like an uncut, ex- not explicit, but you know, just like no censorship, like all of the craziest ideas in a movie. And then they realized, like, well, the fan base is like kids and adults, like pa- like co-viewership, like parents watching with their kids. Mm-hmm. So they were like, we don't want it to be like balls out crazy, like where it's like, uh, you know, kids have to like, or parents have to like cover their kids' eyes. So they <laughs> kind of threaded the needle and like had some ideas like that and some ideas that were a little bit more um, family-friendly, but still like, you know, you know, turning the dial up to 10. But mm-hmm. since, the, since the beginning, they've wanted to do this, do a movie. Like, forever. They, they're they just like old school guys. But they're like, you gotta do a movie. They love movies. Um, they want to see themselves on the big screen. Uh, and then, once it, like, the show was doing well, they were still always like, but what's the movie? But what's the movie? And so, uh, you know, these guys can make anything happen. Mm-hmm. I'm really, I, I can't believe, like, how, like, you know, hardworking they are and, you know, they just had this movie release, and now we're back filming for season nine. They haven't had a break at all. It was like uh, season two of Misery Index, and then the Joker's Cruise, and then the whole movie weekend, and now we're filming again. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, they're on fire. It's 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 awesome to see. Uh, what can you what can you tell us about uh, season nine, if anything? Are you guys filming that in New York, or is there kind of uh, hidden details you can't we're get open, into? We're open, yeah. All New York, maybe like you know, tri-state area. Uh, you know, Connecticut, Jersey. Occasionally, we go out to. We never go to Staten Island. Just said, but I just everyone would know them. Um, and then uh, we wanted to like like a travel episode. We like the last time we did was like this LA one for the 200th episode. We'd love to go to like um, Canada. I would love to go like to a, a better climate. <laughs> you know, like I'd love to do like I don't know, like a Mexico one or. You know, South Africa would be insane. You guys should come up to Um, Maine. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I've I've pitched Maine. I love Maine. What what part of Maine are you from? Uh, Portland area. So the good part, I guess you could. Oh yeah, (laughs) but I love it. Every every summer, like for a while, I was going up to. We had a friend who had a cabin in like uh, South Bristol. Oh okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we drive. We go. We go to Portland and drive like an hour and a half or two hours. Yeah, the I mean the funny thing about Maine, if you guys record up here, is nobody ever sees famous people up here, so they probably would just do a quick double take and be like, "Nah, that that can't be them." <laughs> That's fine. Uh, but uh, Australia, Australia would be good too. That would love, I would love to do an episode in Australia. Yeah, that that would that would be awesome. Uh, you guys are actually, or I don't know if um, it's just the the tenderloins or if you're coming at all, but it. Are you guys? You guys are up in Portland in June, I believe, or is that just the tenderloin? Yeah, so sometimes, sometimes I open to the guys. Like I was, I was, you know, I always go on the Joker's cruise, 
So before that, they were doing a show in Miami and they had me open. So I used to open for them all the time, but I'm always working in the office and I'm always doing my own stuff. So I'm, I'm usually, I stay in New York. I don't travel with when they travel. But I've been trying to go out a little bit more. I, I'm going to be opening up for Sal on his like solo live. Oh, yeah. A little bit more, which is fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so just two more questions I like to ask each uh, guest before the podcast ends. Uh, the first one is, what would be your advice to someone trying to overcome failure and how to push through it? Um, all right, so I think, like, failure kind of makes you who you are. Like, me losing that job at, like, balance was, like, so important for me finding jokers. And I think, like, you got to look at it like it was meant to be. And, uh, you know, it'll work its way out. Uh, I think, like, failure's good because you get to learn your, you know, what you have to improve on. You, you know, how, how else would you know where to improve on? It's just the natural order of things. Like, life, life has success and failure, and you just have to, you have to be confident with what you describe as successful, and, you know, be honest with, with what is failure, and never be embarrassed by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then last one is, in your own words, what do you think defines success? My own words, honestly, like, it's changed a lot. Like, I really, I've seen, like, a lot of, like, my friends, like the Jokers and some other people, like, like have fame. And fame is not exactly good at all. Like, you would hear that, but for real, like, it's tough for the guys to, like, walk down the street or, like, you know, they, like, right. them live in Staten Island still. And they, like, if they go out to dinner, people, like, kind of talk to them, like, or, like, you know, try to, like, take photos while they're, like, eating with their family. And so there's, there's a double side to it. You know, you might think, like, it's so great, but... It's a lot. Mm-hmm. So personally, I'm, I, I'm happy with just the fact that I have like a creative job. It's like a thing what I've wanted my whole life. It's like to have a job where I get to like make stuff and be creative every day. Um, so I think like, you know, set your goals and be realistic and not, not like look at what other people see as goals. Mm-hmm. You know, people talk about like that whole thing of like looking on Instagram and seeing other people's lives and how it's like toxic. I, I completely believe that. I think you really need to like you know, search and see what you find to be like, um, you know, happiness mm-hmm. and, and kind of, and, and find that. And like, I have friends that like love doing comedy, but they don't want to do it as like their career. They want to have their like desk job and like have like a normal life. And then also do like some comedy, like improv shows or stand up on the side. And they're fine with that. And they don't care if they like make it, you know, quote unquote, like, where they get like TV specials, they're like, I, I, I'm fine. Like I have like the creative itch that I want to scratch. Mm-hmm. Like I play a lot of music, but I don't really care if I'm ever like, you know, the musical guest on like a late night show or SNL. I'm like, I just want to do it on the side, and, and that's enough for me. It's there. It's like my own therapy. So I think, you know, be honest with what you want, and if you do want those things, then you, you know, you, you, you know, you keep, you enjoy the journey to get there. That's mm-hmm. the whole thing. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people just get caught up in wanting what other people want because it looks like the cool thing, and then they kind of just forget what they want along the way. <laughs> yeah, I like it. The, that journey is really the, the key. Like I've realized that a lot. Like I like this show. It's, you know, we went to the movie premiere, and you think like, "Oh, that's a dream come true." But really, like everything that's got us to the movie is what's been the dream come true. Mm-hmm. It's that. It's the hard work that's like the most um, memorable moments of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I, I had one podcast guest where they just said, you know, you got to respect your journey because that's basically what makes you who you are in the end. So, 
All right, all right. Just to recap for everyone, this has been an HG podcast today with Casey Jost. Uh, Casey, thank you for joining us today. 